Hello everyone, this is Jennifer Bryant and welcome to the Practical Family Podcast where we are building strong foundations and healthy homes. Today on the podcast we are addressing a topic that may be familiar to most people. It's what happens to us when we go through things that are particularly difficult or we have to watch someone go through something and not really know how to help them. This podcast is being recorded in the wake of the tragic events of Las Vegas this past Monday when a shooter went on a rampage and shot and killed 59 people and critically injured over 500 more. It was horrific, horrific to hear about happening in real time and then not knowing how to deal with the fallout later and so many people needing blood and and other things, losing friends and family members. And so this topic is coming at, I think, an opportune time for us as a community to understand how to be there for our loved ones when they experience tragedy, loss, stress. And if you've ever been in that position, you know how important it is to have support and a community. So I am excited to welcome today a special guest. She is an author and speaker who has written a book called Alongside, a practical guide for loving your neighbor in their time of trial. So join me as I interview Sarah Beckman today on the Practical Family Podcast. Sarah's experience is a bit unique because she has been on both sides of the bed, as she says. She has been in the caregiving position and also the one being cared for. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, I'm so delighted that you agreed to come on to Practical Family because your book, your book title alone just touched my heart as as I heard it. We have been dealing, I know in my family, with with difficult things from caregiving for elderly parents to to deaths in the family and I know that this topic is relevant for our audience. I would love to hear your practical tips today and that's why I invited you on. So can you tell us why what made you write this book? Such a good question I get asked very often. Most people wonder what on earth happened in your life that would make you write a book <laughs> like this. Yes. <laughs> And uh, so I call it the decade of hardship. We, when we were pregnant with our third, I went on bed rest for 11 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then not long after when she was a toddler, I ended up having four back surgeries in, um, in six years. And so I had three children under the age of 10 during those back surgeries, three of which were quote unquote more minor. And the fourth of which was spinal fusion And, but I was laid up for extended periods of time and was receiving help from other people. And then in simultaneously, we were walking through hardship with friends and one of my dearest friends, we lost to leukemia and she struggled for five years. And I was an integral part of their family's care team, if you will, and sort of that community that was coming alongside them. And then I had a neighbor who uh, lost a husband and then was also diagnosed with breast cancer herself, and we lost her. And then we lost a brother-in-law. And those three, my best friend, my neighbor, and my brother-in-law were in three years' time. So 
this decade of hardship allowed me the opportunity to be on both sides of that caring equation. So I was receiving care and I knew what people were doing well and what people weren't doing maybe as well or what was missing or lacking that maybe I didn't have the courage to ask for when I needed it. Mm. But then I could anticipate that with my friends and family in their situation. But I also, it wasn't my own husband or my own child or my own mother. It was that one level removed. I mean, they were very close and I adored all of these people, but I sort of had this bird's eye view of what was going on Mm. from that, like just one level removed where I could see what people were doing. And I was privy to that information of when they had a good experience or when they didn't have a good experience with someone. Mm. And I just paid attention. And it was interesting because I had a conversation with my sister as we were losing our brother-in-law. And I just sort of had this revelation of why do we always want to leave the helping, so to speak, to the people that are quote unquote good at it, Mm. instead of saying that we're all called to love our neighbor as ourself, or we're all going to be in the position at some point or another where someone close to us is hurting. And why do we just want to put it on certain people? Because then we lose friendships over it, over not knowing what to do or say. And it, in the end, I believe we can all be equipped. If we just had the right tools, we could do better. Mm. Oh, wow. So that helping piece is is huge because you know different people seem to have different reactions don't they to to loss to hardship and and uh, and all of our stress indicators sort of make us do different things based on our you know experience our 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 lives our individual lives now what are some of the biggest mistakes that you witness people make or that you felt was just not good for people in those situations yeah, there are a lot of them, actually, sadly, there's, mm. but some of the, one of the most innocent ones, which is really easy to rectify, is that people say, let me know what I can do. Mm-hmm. And they, they may mean it, or they may be just saying it so that they can get out of the conversation, whether it's in the grocery store or at the back of church or wherever they might be on the sports field. Oh, let me know what I can do. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, this offer of help isn't really a genuine offer of help because what it does is it puts all the burden on the receiver. Yes. Yes. So I can that see they that. then they'd have to come up with what you can do, which they're very awfully often not likely to do. Mm-hmm. And so then your well intended offer of help never gets you know given because mm-hmm. they don't want to take you up on it because they don't know how to or what to say. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it's very vulnerable to have to reach out to you, come back to you and say, oh, remember that time that you told me to let you know what I could do? Now <laughs> I'm letting you know. I mean, it's just not going to happen, right? So <laughs> it's just not natural. It's not a, no. you, there, there is more burden, isn't there? That's, that's, I have said that before many times to people. And I know I, I, I always feel awkward after like, oh, I wonder, oh, are they really going to ask me? Did I just do something to them that was inappropriate. But, so this is good to know. From it someone is, and there. it's a common one, and you will catch yourself in the future thinking before, or you might start saying it, and then hopefully you will reframe it, because what yes. we really need to do to rectify this is to make a specific offer of help. Mm-hmm. For example, I would love to drive your kids to practice for you. 
since I know that this is probably a hardship for you. And maybe you want to reserve your energy for when the kids get home. So if I just brought them to and from, then you could do bedtime or whatever you might have energy for. Now, this is just, I'm just picking random examples, but I would love to drive you to chemotherapy. I would love to go along with you when you have to go do those hard appointments after the loss of a child or a husband or a parent. Uh, I would love to bring dinner for you next week. I'm available Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, and I would like to bring spaghetti or soup, which would be better. So as specific as you can make it so that they can receive that offer is, is better. Um, you know, there's so many specific offers you can make, but when we have to think through what we can offer, we also need to realize that we would never offer something that we couldn't give. Mm-hmm. And if they were brave enough to take you up on an offer, what if they took you up on something that you weren't really able to do? Like, oh, you know what I really need? I I need someone once a week to come and do this. And you're, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't have that kind of margin. Yeah, right, right. And being prepared, too. So asking the need. But, the, you know, I think some people may feel even obligated at that point, like, oh, I really, I really want to. And then there are those who are just, you know, if somebody needs a caregiver or something like that to be there and to do some type of work that you're just like, I don't know if I can do that, but I'll try because I love you. But really, what is is the the safer way to go when it comes to that, when they bring an example that you know you can't fulfill? Well, that's, yeah, so you hope to just avoid it altogether by making a specific offer of what you could do. Yes, But okay. if indeed you did say, oh, let me know what I can do, and they came back to you, you know, the best thing so that people aren't hurt or mm-hmm. um, that you aren't, you know, really making things worse for them than better is if you really can't do something, you have to just be honest and say, mm-hmm that is not something in my wheelhouse or I don't have that kind of time right now in my life, but here's what I can do. Yes. Offer solutions. (laughs) Yeah. So you can just go back with a more specific Mm -hmm. offer if they were to ask you for something that you couldn't do, or you might offer to help them find someone Mm. that can do that. You know, I'll take Mm -hmm. this off your plate. I'm not able to do this, but I will look into it and I will talk to the neighborhood or I'll talk to the school friends or I'll talk to the church community or I'll talk to the sports team, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and I'll find someone that maybe could help with that. So let me take that off your plate. And thank you so much for asking me because I really did want to help you, Mm -hmm. but I just am not able to help right now with that particular task. Mm, I see. Okay. Now the food thing is, is... More important, I think, than people give it credit for. I know that our church has a specific ministry set up to deliver meals. It's actually through Mealtrain.com. And I know that right. there are others as well, but but uh, somebody is the point person, and they send around the, the email. link is created for that particular family, their needs, their details of where they live, who, who to call, what, what they may be allergic to, you know. And we'll send it out to the, the people dedicated in our ministry and it's just one meal per family you know right per per situation and it's anything from uh new moms having babies people coming out of surgery a caregiving situation or a death in the family anything that is in need and it takes the people knowing hey that ministry is available and you can call hey i'm going to have so-and-so reach out to you because she does the meal train and she's going to set it up for you and people will be scheduled to go, show up at your house with food, would that be okay? 
you know, right. and, and nobody turns that down. <laughs> really, honestly, they don't. Right. And everybody we talk to is so appreciative of it. And there are perfect margins in being able to do that. And it works out. So the food thing is, is a beautiful option. Yes. And so I would say that if you are not part of a community that you know where someone is caring for that need in a family or in a crisis situation, that if you have that skill set, that you could offer that as your very specific way to love someone by saying, I would love to set up a meal online service for you. And then you can give me names of different people in your life that I might distribute that to mm, so that yes. they could sign up if they don't already have a pre-existing one. And in the book, there is a list of lots of different providers that you can use for, for meal ministry type, type things like that, where you can do the online um, setting it all up in advance. So there's Perfect. several options listed and that is a really fabulous one, but that's a great way for you to fill a need Mm-hmm. which is just a huge logistical issue for that mm-hmm. person in the middle of trial. Mm-hmm. And we kind of cover that in the in the beginning of the book. There's a chapter sort of the, that sets the stage. You know, what are the first things that we need to do and assess in the crisis, mm-hmm. in a tragic, hard situation? Mm-hmm. And one of them is this exact question. Are there needs being met as far as food? Are the child care needs being met? Are there rides that need, you know, those kinds of things? And so that's a very great way for you as a closer relationship to that person um, that you could say, oh, I'll just set that up for you and take it right off your plate. And then you just give me the guidelines and I'll make it happen. Oh, great. Thank you. So that resource is actually in the book. And again, we're talking with Sarah Beckman. She's the author of Alongside, A Practical Guide for loving your neighbor in their time of trial. So the last time that we spoke, Sarah, um, to get ready for the podcast, you mentioned that the book is set up in such a way that addresses pretty much all of the different types of needs. Did you did you do that on purpose? Did you write it as sort of a resource like that on, on purpose? Yeah, it's interesting because it goes against a little bit what they would tell you in the publishing world that you need to really niche down your book as far as you possibly can. And so for a time, I thought that the book might be how to help people with cancer and exclusively because that was where most of my experience coming alongside others had been. But, you know, my big ones, my big three, if you will, were all cancer related, but when I started to research the book, so not only did I have my own experience on both sides of the bed, as we talked about, but I also, when I decided to write the book, I felt like I really heard a prompting from the Lord to reach out to other people that had also been through hardship. Mm. And so I started with just the most simple question, which is what was helpful and what was not helpful to Mm. you? in your time of trial. And I reached out to people that had divorce and kids that were sick and infertility and unemployment and Mm -hmm. loss of parents and loss of spouse and cancer and terminal illness of other varieties besides cancer, ALS. And Mm. I mean, there's so many other things, you know, parents with Alzheimer's, I mean, you name it. And what I found was that regardless of what the trial was, the advice was still universally true. Mm, wow. And so that wow. was how I decided. It was really a research project 
And in the research portion is where I realized that this was not just about cancer or in my case, I had back surgeries and I was on bed rest. But the things that were helpful to me were also helpful to people with all these different varieties. They want to be treated normally. They want you to show up. They want you to do certain things without asking. They want you to make specific offers. Mm. You know, there's the general principles were really universal and those became the overriding chapters in the end because they were so um, agreed upon unanimously by so many people. Wow. So, yes, it ended up being written for just about any hardship. And, you know, you could write a subset book on just about any kind of thing, whether it's, you know, losing a child. and But there's many books categorically out there, you know, in that space where for the actual person that's losing the child or the person that has cancer. But I could find very few books that were this guidebook for the loved ones that want to love well the person in their life that's facing it. So this is specifically for you know somebody that's going through this and you want to be better at helping them, Mm. knowing what to say, knowing what to do, no matter the crisis. Yes, absolutely. And because there is the what to say portion and how to practically offer help. Now let's let's switch over to what to say and what not to say because the whole concept of your book being and walking alongside someone else has a lot more to do with just being, doesn't it? So 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 what does that mean just to be, just to be alongside them? Yeah, so there's several um Interestingly, the the way the book is laid out is that we have chapters, and every chapter is actually an action you can take. So the beginning three chapters are sort of this overarching guide. If you have just found out the news, start here. Read these three chapters, and you'll at least know how to start this endeavor. But then chapters 4 to 21, every one of them is an action that you can take to love your person and one of them is being present so that's its own chapter and then we have another one that's called choosing wise words so that's an action we can choose wise words and in that we just sort of discuss the notion of there's times when you need to be quiet and do nothing or say nothing just show up and and in your presence is really a gift but if you're present with someone it's not like you're gonna sit in silence for days or hours on end I mean sometimes you do but if you're with someone for the long haul then you do ultimately need to finally express words and so there's there's things to stay away from which are pleasantries platitudes um, just sort of the standard party lines, as you will, where people say, oh, they're better off, they're in a better place, so we needed another angel in heaven. And sadly, there's an entire list of of these statements, and I call them true but not helpful statements. Mm, And so we really want to try and not say things that might be true. They are maybe in a better place. But right now, that grieving parent, that grieving sister, brother, friend, mom, wife, spouse, whatever, they don't want them in a different place. They want them here now. And so that's not a comfort. Um, But what I would say in that same vein is that if someone expresses something, let's just say you're standing in a receiving line Mm -hmm. at a funeral and you don't know what to say and 
you you know mostly we want to express that we're here that we're standing with them that we're there for them so that's very important but let's just say that they made a comment for example like I am so relieved that his suffering is over I'm just so grateful then and only then absolutely we can affirm their feelings so we affirm what they've already said we don't create that silver lining for them oh that's the difference do you understand the difference yes Yes. the big difference is when they say it it's fine we jump off it we encourage them we learn from them we follow their lead we take their example Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't create a silver lining for them they don't need that Mm. it's not it's usually not very helpful And that's kind of for like the generalization of relationships that where it's not like maybe your mom or your very closest person. It's usually not appropriate to create a scenario where you say that kind of platitude for them. I see. So it's um, it's adding. It it really is kind of more of a mental burden than than just waiting because because we we are kind of filling in nervously filling in those gaps, aren't we? When yes. somebody's hurting. And there's a lot, and it could be anything. I mean, my personal loss happened to, to be around the loss of a job, you know, and I don't compare that to, to a death at all, but it still feels like a, it's like a huge grieving. loss, you know, it's a yes. grieving process. Um, before we close today, Sarah, there are so many wonderful directions I want to go with you today, <laughs> but for, in the interest of time, I want to address one last thing with you, um, and that is specifically to caregivers. I have I've spoken to so many friends lately who are in that season of caring for their aging parents. And and aging is is not easy. Actually, it's my 97-year-old grandmother right now has um just experienced a stroke and and you know, we're having to come alongside her, but she is the very woman that has said for years, she says getting older is not for sissies. Right. <laughs> she she says that she's so funny. She's got a wonderful sense of humor and what we We've experienced with her, but she's always said that, and I and I will never forget that. But now that she's in a place where she needs extra care, there's a lot of stress, you know, around the the family. We all love her, and we want to do our best for her. But even in a caregiving situation, how do we walk alongside each other or a family who's in this place where they're spent? It's taking every last ounce of them to want to be there and love on them, but the reality of that is just more taxing than they may have realized. Yes. So there would be, you know, separate angles that we could take with this question. You know, one could be how do we walk alongside our aging parents, if Mm. that's the case? Um, Or how can I support a friend who's walking alongside her aging parent? Um, And there's different advice for both. So I'll just start with the one. Let's say in your case, you want to you know, walk alongside your parents who are watching your grandmother. So I think that just being that safe place for your parents to vent and talk and encourage them and just asking them how they are and sort of remembering that that one level removed, that just because it's your grandma that's going through the hardship, you also need to remember that next level of people and be encouraging your mom and dad. So you can come alongside them and allow them to vent to you um, you know maybe they just are spending lots and lots of time with her so then 
you want to provide them some food mm-hmm. um, or relieve a burden. You know, could I get your mail once a week and kind of go through the bills and cull through that stuff for you? Or is there a task at the house that is not getting done because you're with grandma so much that I could take over? Or, you know, there's just lots of specific ways that you could come alongside your parents or someone that you love. I have sadly so many friends right now that are facing really severe struggles with aging parents. Two really good close friends that are facing Alzheimer's dementia diagnoses with their parents. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be there as their friend and encourage them here and there. Often I'll text a verse or I'll text a, a little prayer that I've just typed up on the text because they are close friends and I can just send that to their, you know, their phone by text. But even a voicemail or even an email, um, just to let them know that you're standing with them and you know what they're going through. I mean, empathizing with that. This is really hard. This, I can't imagine how hard it must be to be watching your dad change before your eyes or to be dealing with your mom, be so frustrated every day. I just want you to know that I'm here. Mm. I'm here for you and I'm praying for you. So just affirming your presence for them is so important. And then just to jump into, let's say it's your actual parent that you're caring for. My mom is 90 years old. She just turned 90 um, a week and a half ago. And Mm. she is in fairly good physical health, shockingly. Her mind is sharp as a knife, but um, she does have her ailments. But the interesting thing that I have learned about her is that she moves at a different pace than the rest of the world, right? Like she has a new normal and she's used to being busy and going and and running while, you know, doing all of the things that she did forever. She's a mom of 14 kids. And yeah, yeah so there's a <laughs> lot. I know. I'll give you a minute to catch your breath on that. <laughs> I, and you said you're the youngest of 14. I is am. that right? I'm oh. the youngest. Correct. <laughs> wow. So... Yes, but so here she is used to going rapid speed, and now she's at a whole different speed in her life. And the thing I have found is that she wants people to be present Mm. more than anything. She wants us to show up and give her our time. And she doesn't want us to, you know, sort of run in and do the little list of things and then run out like we don't have time for her because it makes her feel like a burden. And this is all my impression from watching her but I have watched and witnessed and I hear her and she shares a little bit more with me and it's just so interesting she just really wants our presence she wants us to come and yes there's things on the list to do but you know she'd just be just as happy as if we came and took her out to lunch and hung out with her or sat and visited for 30 minutes after the list was done instead of making her feel like a burden so Mm -hmm. this showing up and being there and actually partaking and allowing them to do things maybe with us helping so that they don't feel so helpless. That's another really valuable way that you can come alongside aging parents is to let them be part of it as much as they're able instead of just quickly doing it all by yourself so that you can get it done really fast and leave. Yes. You know, that's, that kind of just makes them feel like they're a burden. So allowing them to be part of the process and showing up and spending quality time are some of my tips for uh, that. Quality time. So th- the two big takeaways that I have from this conversation is quality time and empathy. Empathy mm-hmm. is so huge. And I mean, with any human relationship, when we, when we can really 
see the needs. And, and on Practical Family, we talk about this a lot when it comes to parenting and marriage. And now that we're addressing this community issue of how do we care for others and other families who need us just to be there. So right. empathizing is, is just, just the key. Because when we don't empathize, it, it's, it's just selfish. We're just thinking of ourselves and what we need and what's convenient for us and not. Right. But when we work together and really love people, we are there. And we prioritize our time accordingly. Yes, that's very true. It, it's mm. about making the time because it's not going to happen mm. unless we make it a priority and say, I don't want to be the person that is paralyzed by this decision of what do I do or what do I say? I want to equip myself and I want to be able to show up and be there for people that I care about in these really hard, dark times. Yes. Oh, well, thank you, Sarah Beckman, for writing this book. And again, the title of the book is Alongside, A Practical Guide for Loving Your Neighbor in Their Time of Trial. Loving our neighbor is and building confidence on our ability to love people well with real, tangible actions and helping people, people to overcome the insecurity of doing the wrong thing, as we mentioned in, in this interview. So pick up a copy of Sarah's book today. We will have the link in the show notes. And also connect with Sarah at sarahbeckman.org. And she spells her name S-A-R-A-H Beckman.org. We'll have that in the show notes. Connect with her on Facebook. She's on LinkedIn and Twitter. Sarah, thank you for visiting Practical Family today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, Jen, I can't thank you enough. And I, I love the heartbeat of what you do because I'm all about practical. So I just yes. love that you're helping people each day with ways to really live out what we're called to do. Sarah was such a pleasure to interview and I encourage each and every one of you today that if you have someone in your life who is experiencing tragedy or loss or just having a rough time that you would pick up a copy of Sarah's book and be so encouraged by these practical tips that you can take away and go and love on that family. Sarah actually has a free resource that are in the show notes right now. 20 ways to love in 10 minutes or less. Click on that link and download that from her website. You can also visit her book site at alongsidebook.com. Also, don't forget to check out practicalfamily.org. Visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And share this episode with someone that you know who can really benefit from Sarah's information. Again, the book is Alongside, a practical guide for loving your neighbor in their time of trial. Click on the image in the show notes and download that today on our podcast page. We're also on iTunes and Google Play. You've been listening to the Practical Family Podcast, where we are encouraging families to build strong foundations and healthy homes. Music